0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of Inside Intercom. So as anyone whose startup has been fortunate enough to find product market fit knows, word of mouth is fleeting. Eventually, if you're going to reach your long-term growth goals and begin getting your product into the hands of bigger companies, you're going to have to invest in and build out your sales operation. And in the world of software, where buyer behavior and simply the ability to try before you buy has disrupted the traditional sales approaches like cold calling, it means getting a handle on new digital channels like live chat or social media. This week's guest, Empire Selling CEO Dan Swift, has made it his mission to help the next generation of great B2B companies do just that. Dan joined LinkedIn in 2012 as a senior sales leader charged with launching its social selling business. He trained LinkedIn's own global sales work in the process. From there, he became the VP of sales at Sprinkler, guiding the company through its own high growth period before striking out on his own. Today, with Empire Selling, he's helping B2B companies drive revenue and deepen customer relationships through digital and social selling training. In our chat, Dan breaks down the challenges of being a sales leader as your company enters a growth phase.
1: I think a lot of companies, when they're growing incredibly quickly, oftentimes the company will outgrow the infrastructure and when things do start creaking, it's the people around you that you're going to lean on. And that's why culture is so important. You know, you're essentially, you're going to battle every day and you want to have those people around you to support you. And when systems start creaking, they're the ones who are going to look out for you.
0: Explains what social selling is and isn't and why it's such an important channel.
1: Social selling is one-to-one. It's identifying an executive, a middle manager, a practitioner, and whatever it might be. And, and leveraging social media, maybe it's relationship data, to find a warm path into that individual rather than cold calling, or perhaps it's just leveraging some social insight about that that person as a human being and leveraging that to um, reach out warm and, and get a meeting.
0: And how to better share content as a gateway to getting in touch with leads.
1: The worst thing is that they are just gonna blast out corporate content over and over and over again. So all you're doing is positioning yourself as a salesperson your network and you want to position yourself as a trusted advisor so it's critical to share content but you've got to get this blend right
0: if you like what you hear from dan check out our archive of more than 100 inside intercom conversations we've got talks around product design marketing sales and more to get them all just subscribe to our show on itunes or wherever you go for podcasts these days but now let's hop in the studio where i'm joined on the line by empire selling ceo dan swift
2: you're listening to inside intercom Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com.
0: Dan, welcome to Inside Intercom.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so just to get us started, for some of our listeners who may not be as familiar with you specifically, since you've more recently struck it out on your own, they're definitely going to be familiar with a lot of the companies that you've helped Grow and grow rapidly in recent years. So, can you just give us a quick rundown of your career to date and the types of companies you're now working with today through Empire Selling?
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, I've been in enterprise sales now for 18 years. The last 12 of those have been in leadership positions. I started out, I guess my first real job was at GE Capital out in Australia. And then I moved back to London and joined a company called Complinet, which was a back office compliance software company. And um, that company, I was there for a long time. I was there for 11 years. Um, That was ultimately acquired by Thomson Reuters. So um, I went there for 18 months and a 200-person company got swallowed up by an 88,000-person company. Um, So 18 months later, fortunately, LinkedIn um, found me. And uh, LinkedIn, I launched the social selling business and bought LinkedIn Sales Navigator to market. And um, after about two and a half years there, joined Sprinklr, which is the social media management technology company here in New York, there for three years as a divisional vice president. And January 1, I officially started my role as CEO of my own company, Empire Selling. And um, to answer your second question, we're essentially helping B2B companies drive revenue and deepen customer relationships through digital and, and social selling training. We do live workshops and we do a ton of speaking engagements. And the types of companies, they really do range. Right now we're working with some Fortune 50 companies all B2B down to you know much smaller startups here in New York City. The only exception is we do some work with financial services and insurance companies. So we're working B2C there with financial advisors and insurance brokers.
0: That's awesome. So I imagine there's no clean handoff between, okay, I'm a leader at a, a large high growth company and now I'm a founder. These things sort of have to overlap to some respect. So How was your experience with getting this startup of yours off the ground while still being at Sprinkler? Is there anything that you'd recommend for someone going through something similar?
1: Sure. Well, I actually set it up while I was still at LinkedIn. So this goes a a, a little bit past that. So the, the best advice I've got for people is be completely transparent with what it is that you're doing. When I joined Sprinkler, I made it very clear to the, the leadership team at the time that I had this business and it was very much a side hustle and I'd be doing it evenings and weekends. Um, so that transparency was up front. And then I think it also depends, it does depend on the leadership team there. Um, you know, they basically said to me, if anything you do externally, um, any teaching, any, any learnings you get, bring them back in-house, make sure the, uh, the, the Sprinkler sales organization benefits from it. Uh, and in that way, both parties win. In in terms of kind of trying to trying to figure out, I guess viability of a business while still working, use the time when you're gainfully employed and 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 get in a, a an income to test content or the technology. Make sure you've got that viable program or platform. Do your research on the total addressable market, the market readiness for whatever you're doing. Just have that income coming in to pay the bills before <laughs> before you go do this. And definitely try and get some clients that are going to um, be with you for the, the medium term when you get started.
0: Sounds like pretty sound advice. Is there a tipping point where you have to go all in, essentially, and put your chips in the middle of the table?
1: I think there is. I think there's a, a monetary one where you, as long as you can see a path to good earnings in the in the medium term, it might not be out of the gate. But also just from a mental perspective, if you've got a side hustle and, and the goal is to go all in, at some point, you're going to know, you're going to feel it when the thing that was stressing me out was not the quarterly quotas and working in enterprise sales at Sprinkler, none of that. The thing that was stressing me out was not doing empire selling full time. Um, so you get, as an entrepreneur, you get to that point and, and it just naturally, you naturally tip.
0: So I want to get into what you're doing with Empire Selling here in a bit, but looking back at your time at LinkedIn and Sprinkler, as I mentioned, these were both going through extreme periods of high growth during your tenure there. I think LinkedIn, you were there, what, like 2012 to 2015, and then Sprinkler, the, the more recent years. What's it like riding that trajectory, particularly as someone in sales? Obviously, there are a lot of challenges that come from that. What sticks out?
1: Sure. So, um, well, for, there's definitely some advantages as well, as you as you suspect. So you tend to have something unique or something that's very much in demand. So the advantages should be obvious. You know, you, you, you tend to be able to sell slightly more easily. And it definitely helps it helps in a sales position when you're working for a well-recognized brand, you know, like a LinkedIn. But the challenges, there's a lot of them. The challenges are that you tend to get pretty pretty large quotas because the, the leadership team believe that the market opportunity is there and they've made certain commitments to the board. So the challenges are that the, the quotas are big and you have to kind of sell a lot more of it to, to get there and make the same kind of money. Maybe that you'd make it at another organization, but um, but it's not as easy as, as some might think because um, take LinkedIn, for example, when I was at LinkedIn, we launched a brand new product. LinkedIn was known at a time for talent and marketing solutions. And we had to educate and challenge our prospects with what we were bringing to market which was linkedin sales navigator so this is a brand new tool people didn't think of linkedin as a sales tool Uh, and in fact the team that i was responsible for was selling into the the highly regulated financial services and insurance markets so obviously social media in those sectors is not at the forefront of everyone's minds and certainly not when it comes to selling so there's definitely some challenges there And and then the last thing i'd say is What comes with fast growth companies can come a mixture of cultures. So some cultures super supportive in in these kind of environments, very entrepreneurial, and a lot of them are incredibly compassionate, at least the the real fast moving forward thinking ones are. Others I've heard that perhaps not as good from a cultural perspective, a little toxic. So it really does depend on the leadership team.
0: That example of financial institutions, I think is really interesting because it's such a traditional industry that's used to doing things in the same way for so long. So how do you begin to approach that problem of trying to get them to switch from some sort of existing solution they have that they understand really well and that isn't foreign to them to something more digital like social?
1: Sure. So we actually bought in the Challenger sale to help us do that because you're essentially challenging the status quo, you're challenging a way that the industry has worked for decades. And and then you also sometimes having to help them get to a place where they realize for themselves that they actually have a challenge or a problem, or they could be operating way more effectively. And in this example, the way we challenged was helping them, teaching them that there was a lot of stuff going on on LinkedIn in terms of members engaging with other members, particularly high net worth individuals. And then uh, getting them to to think about it as a potential just another channel that they could be operating in or on to win those high net worth individuals. So um, it was uh, it was challenging, but um, but it's it's a it's a, it's a good revenue part of LinkedIn's um, organization.
0: One thing that is, of course, always a challenge as you scale is keeping your processes aligned because things that work for certain team sizes just inevitably aren't going to continue working the same way as you scale. So. Whether it be from LinkedIn or Sprinkler, was there one particular moment where you really had to change how you and your teams worked? And if so, how'd you solve that?
1: I think a lot of companies, when they're growing incredibly quickly, oftentimes the company will outgrow the infrastructure. So I think a couple of things jumped to mind. The first one is communication. You have to communicate clearly. You have to have a common language around whatever it is that you're doing and a, a specific operating framework. So for sales, we brought in um, a couple of different methodologies. We use Force Management, which is a growth play company, uh, which allowed us to have that common language so we could really expedite one-on-one meetings, team meetings, and just the way that we communicated around deals. But but the other part of it is culture. You know, you've, you've got to have the right culture because you are going to outgrow your infrastructure. And when things do start creaking, it's the people around you that you're going to lean on. And that's why culture is so important. You know, you're essentially you're going to battle every day and you want to have those people around you to support you. And when systems start creaking, they're the ones who are going to look out for you.
0: Right. And you can't really talk about culture without talking about hiring, because the more people you bring in, the more that things sort of start to change over time. So with you personally, when you were hiring in these positions, what were the hard and soft skills that you looked for most?
1: Sure. So a blend of talent, um, experience. I think a lot of people think that um, it, it's critical to bring in that individual with the twenty years of, of software sales experience, but oftentimes that individual might not necessarily be comfortable in the new market. But conversely, you might have um, incredibly talented individuals with less sales experience but um, incredible domain experience, uh, and, and you need a little bit of both because the the people with that. 20 years of of enterprise sales experience can really help the people newer to sales take a more strategic approach and and, and with account management and that sort of stuff but then the people who have that domain experience and in my world obviously social media could help the people coming into the space so I I always when I'm building my teams I always have a, a little bit of something from each different area and then diversity is so so important to make sure you have the right mix and the right kind of collaboration and then specifically on hard skills and i'm looking for people who have got a proven capability in sales a proven track record and to prove it in sales you've really got to be somewhere longer than two and a half years or so which in, in today's world people do jump around a lot which makes it difficult to um, see if someone has got capabilities in sales so that's when the interview process becomes critical and then the soft skills coachability you've got to be able to pivot. You've got to be able to take feedback so you can move forward 10x and catchability is huge.
0: You mentioned people jumping around a lot. I think one reason that may be is in SaaS and software in particular, that's just the competition for talent is so fierce these days. So on, on the flip side, how would you sell your company to candidates to make sure that they were aware that this was the right opportunity for them in your eyes?
1: I think it's a couple of things. I think it's. It's helping them, well, first of all, it's it's, it's me understanding what they want to do, first of all, and what they think they're capable of to make sure it is the right fit before I try and sell them on anything. And then candidly, it really shouldn't be a sell because I want to I want to make sure that they understand they're coming on a journey with the company and with me as their leader and make sure they're the kind of people, that person you want to hang out with for eight hours a day, five days a week, uh, at least. So I think that's pretty important. And then once they're on board, it's making sure. I, I, I'm a, I'm known for being a compassionate leader. I show a ton of vulnerability because everyone should do that to be to be able to learn and and get better and help people around. You feel comfortable um, asking questions. So that, in conjunction with a good hiring process, normally you get off to a pretty fast start.
0: It seem like all foundational things too that set up a situation where someone is more likely to stay for two and a half, three years and beyond, rather than the annual hop from software company to software company?
1: I think that's right. And I think, yes, there is a great war for good talent, but I think there's a stronger thing happening where um, a lot of companies do not have a particularly strong middle management layer, particularly in sales. And you know everyone knows that people leave the company, the biggest reason people leave the company is their boss. So, if we can solve that across the sales industry and help sales leaders become more effective and uh, more compassionate, but more up-to-date on things like social selling and and new ways of approaching a traditional sales industry or or, or world, then I think you might see less movement around SaaS companies.
0: So, is that taking more time, really, to carve out different types of career paths rather than just the sort of account manager, manager of account managers, director, etc.?
1: I think it's definitely that, but it's also taking the time to slow down and understand what what it is the individual is looking to try and get from the experience. And when you actually do that and also get to know the individual as a human being, I mean, it sounds obvious, but so many leaders don't do that. And and when you do that, then that individual working for you not only will go 10x what they probably would have done otherwise, but you build a a very special relationship and and you get to do some very special things together at incredibly fast-paced companies. That's all to come on Off Script. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel, and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode.
0: A major area of emphasis and success for you in your career is this idea of social selling that we mentioned at the top of the show. So to tee up this topic, can you just define for us what social selling is to you? I mean, how is that different from something like social media marketing, for instance, for someone that's unfamiliar with the topic?
1: So over at LinkedIn, social selling was all about leveraging your social network, and we used to talk about um, leveraging it to find prospects, build relationships, trusted relationships, and ultimately achieve your sales goals. I think all of that is is fine, but I think there's a, a there's a misconception around social selling that ultimately a social seller is just going to sit on social media and, and not leverage other channels like the phone or email or increasingly video. And that's not the you know that's not the case. Social selling is not what empire selling does, by the way. We, we take a modern approach to sales and social selling is just one of those channels. And then I think it's bigger than social selling now, actually. I mean, we describe it as modern selling or largely driven by digital selling because Salespeople need to look at social media. They need to look at the broader web to conduct the kind of research they need to do, particularly in enterprise sales, to approach big accounts, leverage mobile technologies. So there's a lot more to it. And, and then the second part you question, social media marketing is leveraging social media one-to-many, right? So a company trying to hit up a ton of consumers to, to pass on a message, whereas social selling is one-to-one. It's identifying an executive, a middle manager, a practitioner, and whatever it might be. And, and leveraging social media, maybe it's relationship data, to find a warm path into that individual rather than cold calling. Or perhaps it's just leveraging some social insight about that, that person as a human being and leveraging that to um, reach out warm and, and get a meeting.
0: So maybe zooming out a little bit, how has just the, the current environment of software sales changed to where this has become such a crucial part of the mix and where this, this channel has risen in importance?
1: Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's less about what's changing in, in, in SaaS and more about what's changing with buyers. There's a lot of research out there that cold calling is becoming less effective. One, The latest report, I think it was the Harvard Business Review, said it's not going to work 97% of the time. It does work 3% of the time. Now, as a, as a salesperson, I always want to align to how buyers want to be engaged with. And um, a lot of the research says they want to be engaged with, on, I should say, social media as a channel. So I think it's, it's more about how we want to serve our customers and how we want to engage with people than than it is about any changes in, in SaaS.
0: So let's walk through how, how you might use this as a tool to engage someone. Let's look at say the the quote unquote ungettable call or meeting. How might you use social selling to start building that relationship?
1: Yeah, sure. So um we've had many of many of those kind of um, scenarios over the years. So yeah, imagine you've got an executive who um we know is, let's call him the economic buyer. And he or she's got the money to buy whatever it is that you're selling. So there's three parts of social selling that I evangelize. The first one is, is your network. You have to build and nurture your network. So build it connecting with every single person with whom you have a meaningful business interaction every single day. Because the bigger and better your network, and if you nurture that network with content, the chances are you're going to be able to get yourself a warm introduction from someone in your network who trusts you because of the content that you're sharing to walk you in the door to that executive. Now, the second part of it is once you're with the executive or even in your outreach through someone, that executive is going to care about things like white papers, for example, to educate them um, rather than a practitioner who might just want some Tactical guidance around how his or her job uh, day could be better. So it's making sure that we, we 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 use the right content in our outreach, and then finally, if you've done enough uh, and that warm introduction has worked, then that individual is going to look that the, that executive is going to look at your your LinkedIn profile to see who you are because it's natural human curiosity to see um, who this person is, and if that person looks at your LinkedIn profile and sees kind of a traditional resume salesy kind of um, approach to LinkedIn, then, you know, performance against quota and all that sort of stuff is a bit of a turnoff to a a buyer and definitely an executive. But if your profile talks about how you've got this rich history of helping um, executives and and, and buyers like him achieve his goals, then um, that's a very different emotional experience that he'll have. So um, the, the conversion tends to be way higher if you take that approach. So so network, content and profile are the three big pillars that are, can be needle moving.
0: I think maybe where content and profiles sort of start to meld together, too, is, is in the mix of content, because I certainly can't see this being effective if all you're sharing is corporate piece of content after corporate piece of content. You've got to sort of position yourself as a human being, right?
1: absolutely so so I talk a lot about this this rule the 50 uh, 25, 25 rule but uh, before I kind of explain t- too much what it is I'll, I'll, I'll explain the worst thing that people can do on social media the worst thing is that they um, are just going to blast out corporate content over and over and over again so information promoting the company that they work for morning lunchtime afternoon evening five days a week sometimes seven days a week and and then you just all you're doing is elevating yourself as a well, not even elevate positioning yourself as a salesperson to your network, and you want to position yourself as a trusted advisor. So it's critical to share content, but you've got to get this blend right. So fifty percent is can be what I've just described, all that corporate content, because that, that's okay. You know, it's a channel you want to educate, but twenty-five percent should be around what I call industry content. So not anything produced by your company, but information that you source that can be helpful to your target buyers about the industry that they're in so that they can become better professionals and more productive and successful. And then the final 25% should be nothing to do with any of that. The final 25% has to humanize you on social. So for me, it's it's coaching, it's um, helping people be the best they can possibly be. And, and, and anything that I find, I read, I'm sent, that I think will will benefit people in my network, I share, that's the last 25%. And it, and it balances you as a person on, on social. So
0: I know sales is, in a lot of ways, all about measurement. Obviously, this is more of a, a much more longer-term cultivation play. So how how do you measure the way that this helps you?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think it's actually a little um, easier to, to, to measure than perhaps people think a lot of a lot of um, there's a lot of talk in the market that it's you know you can't measure the effectiveness of social media I just, I just think that's just not accurate so the first one the number of warm introductions you get on LinkedIn to your prospects yeah, that could be measured on a, a weekly basis and the number of meetings with each prospect type so I always think of prospects of the, the people as economic buyers, maybe champions, maybe influencers, or maybe coaches. So the number of people you're getting with each of those, because then you can see where your outreach is working and where it's not and what you might be able to tweak. And that can all be measured. And then, you know, look at the opportunities that were started with content that a seller may have shared on on LinkedIn, and maybe someone liked that content and he took the conversation offline and that started a, a net new opportunity. So that can be measured. And and when we were at um, at LinkedIn and at Sprinkler, we actually used Salesforce at both. And all we did was link all the um, opportunities back to the whatever generated it, right? And in this instance, you know, social media, social media, social media. So we could see um, at the end of every every quarter how much revenue had been influenced by uh, by social.
0: So obviously, LinkedIn is the most natural outlet for this type of material that we've been talking about. But do you need synergy between your? Twitter presence and your Facebook presence as well, or how how does that fit into the picture?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the more you get into this, then Twitter does become an interesting channel too. You definitely have to have consistency across all the social channels, and that's the way that you present yourself, and also the the photos that you pick and the the tactical way you describe who you are and that kind of stuff, um, which is super important. But I, I use Twitter less so as a communication tool. I actually use it more as a, as a research tool because there's a ton of great stuff that companies are putting out on Twitter, but also the individuals that you're trying to sell to are putting out on, on Twitter about themselves. It gives you um, great, great insight and great um, opportunity to leverage that insight to, to bridge um, an introduction.
0: So when it comes to social selling for someone who maybe has shared content every now and then, but never had a real organized plan of attack for this, What's something that our listeners could do in the short term to start driving results?
1: Sure. I think a couple of things. Um, first of all, they should think about how they're positioning themselves on, on LinkedIn. So, If a buyer looked at their profile right now, what kind of experience would that buyer have? Would it be um, a bit of a turnoff because you're just a little egotistical and talking about yourself and promoting yourself, um, really because you're trying to appeal to recruiters? Or are they having a much more trusted advisor kind of interaction where they look at your profile and go, hey, that's, that's amazing. I've got to talk to this person. So that's the first thing. That's part of what Empire Selling does. But um, the other thing I think is a real quick win is connecting with every single person in your organization. Now, easier if you're working for a 200 or 300 person company, obviously. So if you're in a much larger one, perhaps you connect with everyone in your division. But it's amazing who knows who. And LinkedIn obviously opens so many doors through um, warm introductions. So
0: as you mentioned, Empire Selling covers a lot more technique than just social selling. So as someone that's been in this space for as long as you have, what other emerging channels are you really excited about that are maybe new or possibly even untapped but have been around for a while?
1: I think the the thing I'm most excited about, particularly for this year, is video. I think video is going to be a fascinating thing to see how that develops. There's amazing companies out there who are doing it really well. Vidyard springs to mind. But um, I think it's got to be used well, right? So I don't know yet how executives are going to feel when people like me reach out to them with video. I'm not sure yet whether that's going to be the right vehicle. But I think it is going to be definitely powerful for middle management prospects and and practitioner prospects for, for salespeople to use video
0: what about that application that you mentioned as an example really sticks out to you what are they doing with video that's so interesting
1: a lot of it is um, it's the back end that a, that a company is going to be able to see this the, the data in terms of how a seller's using it how it's performing what sort of messages are landing um, when someone opens the video how long, is the person watching the video for? Do they sit on the video all the way through to the end? Do they share it with people? So you start getting um, a lot of good insight, and, uh, and you can start tweaking your messaging um, accordingly. So I think it's just for that, but I think it's just ease of use as well. Um, you know, Salespeople, for the most part, want to have um, tools that are going to be in- incredibly intuitive and just quick and easy, right? So um, Vidyard does it really well.
0: Well, Dan, thank you so much for sharing part of your afternoon with us today. This has been great. Quickly before we go, where can our listeners go to learn more about Empire Selling and just generally keep up with your latest insights? Because obviously, you're sharing a lot of content yourself.
1: Sure, well, thank you for thank you for the opportunity. So um, they can definitely go to Empireselling.com. They can find us and followers on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can definitely find me Dan Swift on LinkedIn and, and follow me. Um, that would be great.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dan, and we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.